0: to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: There's nothing wiser that we could do than just to surrender everything to the Lord. You know, the most foolish thing a human being, and especially a human being who has received Christ, the most foolish thing we could ever do is hold on to parts of our life thinking that we've got a better plan than God does. That is an utterly foolish thing to do.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Genesis chapter 22 in a message titled, Abraham, Tried and True. Now here's Pastor Brian.
1: And during that long season of blessing, Abraham, no doubt, many times over, would just think back through that whole thing, just rehearse it all over again as he would look at Isaac and just say, man, Lord, you are so good. Remembering all of those years and all of that waiting, but now here he is. So his faith is strong. Faith, as we've pointed out, I want to remind you again, faith has developed over time. We are not great men and women of faith overnight. It's a process. Our faith is developed over a period of time. God is doing something in our lives that's, to some extent, it's taking a lifetime. Faith is developed over time, and faith begets greater faith. So how do I grow in faith? Well... I grow in faith by exercising faith in the things that God brings my way. And the Lord, of course, is wise, and he's gracious, and he's faithful. As Paul reminded us, he's faithful not to allow us to be tested beyond what we are able. If this would have taken place immediately after the birth of Isaac, Who knows whether Abraham could have handled it or not? Probably not. That's probably why it didn't happen then. And and likewise with us, we can have this kind of confidence that God is not going to allow us to be tested beyond our maturity level, if you will. And he's going to bring along things that are designed specifically to take us sort of a step at a time Up the ladder of faith. So faith begets greater faith. But there does come a time in our lives when God then begins to expect from us greater steps of faith, greater acts of faith, deeper trust in him, because we've got this long history behind us. I can think of times over the years where I've gone through things, and then maybe some years later, I'm going through something similar, and I'm, you know, I'm wavering. I'm thinking, oh, I, you know, I don't know. I, and, and the Lord will remind me, wait a second, you've been through this before, haven't you? Remember what I did back then? Oh, yes. And looking back on the faithfulness of God in those past seasons, it strengthens us to face the present season, knowing that God brought us through that. He's going to bring us through the present crisis as well. So faith begets greater faith. Abraham's faith is now fully mature. And so the test is a test that is suited to his faith, really. And this is where we see what Paul said about Abraham really clearly. Let me remind you of what he said in Romans chapter 4. He said, Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. Now, Paul sort of uses these words to describe the overall picture of Abraham's faith. Surely they're applicable in this particular situation, especially in this situation, because this is what we see. He does not waver at the promise of God whatsoever. There's no indication in the text that Abraham wavered at all. Certainly he was emotionally disturbed, as we pointed out. He was mentally probably confused, but yet there was absolutely no wavering. He immediately, unquestioningly, moved ahead in obedience. He didn't waver at the promise of God. And you see, God will bring us along, and he then will expect from us progress in our faith. And ultimately, he's he's wanting to bring us to the place where we're not wavering at the promises of God any longer where we're not hesitating or we're not grumbling or we're not trying to talk God out of a particular situation. We're just simply saying, Lord, I trust you. That's where God is working to bring each and every one of us to. Sometimes I'll talk to a person who has been with the Lord for many years, but strangely enough, they're, they're sort of looking to the Lord to deal with them today like he dealt with them 15 or 20 years ago when they were new in the faith. And it it doesn't work that way. You deal much differently with a baby or with a child than you do with an adult, don't you? And of course, as a parent, you deal much differently with your adult children than you do with your little children. And if you you know, reverted to dealing with your adult children like you dealt with your little children, it would be odd. It would be a strange thing. It would be wrong. But, you know, sometimes you'll find a person who's, who's wanting that same sort of thing that they had in their immature state and, and God's, not, God's not working that way. I remember some time ago talking to a fellow and he was, it was crystal clear to me that God was encouraging him to take a step of faith, to move on from from where he was at. But he he wasn't willing to do it. He was afraid to do it, basically. And he said, well, I'm just waiting for God to speak to me like he did 20 years ago when he got me to where I'm at today. And I responded to him and said, God's not going to speak to you that way. 20 years ago, that's how God spoke to you because you were 20 years more immature. But now after these 20 years, you shouldn't expect that same kind of thing from the Lord. The, this is how the Lord's speaking to you. And he, he's wanting, you know, basically what he was saying is, I'm not going to take a step of faith until I can see that everything's going to work out. Well, what kind of step of faith is that? It's not a step of faith, Right. If I can see how everything's going to work out there's absolutely no faith involved in what I'm doing. It's when I can't see it. It's when it doesn't, you know, seem to make sense. I was talking to one of the young guys today and uh, I asked him he's dating a gal and they've been talking a little bit about marriage and all of that and he, I said, "You know, have you guys set a date?" and he said, "No." He said, "You know, you know, we're trying to kind of pencil it out, you know, and it just doesn't seem like it's it's working out. He's talking about the the financial element of their lives. And I just looked at him, I said, oh, forget that. Don't even bother with that. It'll never pencil out. (laughs) The question isn't, will it pencil out? The question is, what is God calling you to do? And you know, that same thing is true all across the board in life. We tend to want to sit down and map it all out and make sure that we can figure it all out and we've got it all planned in advance and we just see how everything's going to work out and then we say, okay, I'm launching out in faith. No, we're not launching out in faith. No, we're launching out in faith when we look at it and say, you know, this, this doesn't pencil out. This doesn't make sense. Now, I'm not promoting irresponsibility, But, you know, God does things a lot different than the world does them. He does things a lot differently than we would quite often do them. And so we have to be aware of that. This command from God to Abraham made absolutely no sense in light of what God had previously told Abraham. Didn't make a bit of sense at all. It seemed completely contrary to everything that Abraham was anticipating. But nevertheless, he swiftly and without question was obedient. He did not waver at the promise of God. And I love the way Paul puts it. He was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Why? Because he was fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And that's where God wants us to be. He wants us to be convinced, fully convinced that what he's promised, he's able to perform. As a matter of fact, from my experience, what I've seen most often is God usually creates a deficit kind of a situation, and then that's when he launches you out into something. I've I've known a few guys over the years who, wonderful guys, uh, wanted to serve the Lord, had, um, you know, very successful in, in business and a couple of Guys that I know have, um, you know, had these amazing retirement packages there sort of offered to them, which would basically kind of pave the way and, and or pad the way for them for the rest of their lives. They don't have to worry about anything. And, and they're going to just, you know, take that retirement package and never have to take a penny from the church. They're going to commit them time, themselves to full-time service. And, you know, there they go. And I've seen so many times that before they get to that moment of taking that step, God, I believe it's God, he'll take away that package. Suddenly, it's not there. And basically, I think what the Lord is doing is saying, I don't want you trusting in this retirement package. I want you trusting in me. And and so I've I've seen these guys, you know, where they come to this place and this is what we're going to do and then all of a sudden the thing vanishes. What are we going to do now? Well, if God's calling you, then you need to keep moving ahead regardless of whether that's there or not because that's not what our trust is in. And so that swift and unquestioning obedience. Now, notice here in the story, and we've read the story already. We read it last time around. But if you look over in the 12th verse, God's response to Abraham's faith. What do we see here? Well, verse 11, and the angel of the Lord called to him, or back in verse 10, Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, so he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad, Or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Look what God does in response to Abraham's faith. What does he do? He restores Isaac to him. Now, as we pointed out previously, remember Abraham was so full of faith at this point that he was convinced. Remember, he said to the young men, he took two young men with him. When they came to the base of the mountain there, he said, you wait here, the lad and I, we will go worship and we will come back. Abraham was convinced, we're told from the author of Hebrews, he was convinced that if need be, God would raise Isaac from the dead. He was convinced of that. That's how, that's how strong his faith was at this point. So we see as Abraham is obedient, as he immediately obeys without any wavering, what does God do? God actually accomplishes what he intends to accomplish, but he restores Isaac to Abraham. Abraham, of course, you know the story, doesn't end up offering Isaac. And this is something that doesn't always happen, but I think it's something that happens quite often. Quite often, God will restore things to us that he has called us to give up for him. And basically, it's just simply a test as to whether we would give it up or not. You see, what God is, is really looking for from us, he's looking for total surrender, he's looking for obedience. And like I said, although it doesn't happen 100% of the time, sometimes the Lord calls you to give up something and you do and he keeps it. And that's, that's just where it's going to stay. But I have seen in my own life, I've seen in the lives of many other people where there will be something that the Lord will require, but then sometime later he will often turn around and return that to us or allow us to have that again or be involved in that again. And, and I think, you know, in one sense, it, it's simply because at that point, we have got the right perspective on it. When you can give something up to the Lord entirely, then that's where your perspective is right. And that's where God is free to then restore that thing to you. So maybe some of you are wrestling with something that God is requiring of you. You know that God is speaking to you about laying that particular thing on the altar. He's been speaking to you about it. And he's brought you here tonight to speak to you with a megaphone about it. And maybe it's painful emotionally. It hurts. Maybe it's perplexing mentally. You just, you can't figure it out. But Lord, if I let go of this, then what about that? And and what about the other thing? And what about those promises that you made and, But you know, until you let it go, until you surrender it over to him, you're you're not going to be able to move forward in faith, and you're not going to really be able to enter into the blessing. And that's what we see again with Abraham. Isaac is restored to him, and then as we read on, the, the promised blessings are reaffirmed to him. And what we can do through lack of faith is we can find ourselves sort of stuck in a place where we can't progress any further because until we deal with that one particular thing, until we get that one thing settled with the Lord, you know, I I just can't move. I can't advance. It's only when I let it go. It's only when I release it. Then I can move ahead and you never know You know, here's the thing. Sometimes we're holding on to something because we think, well, you know, if I let this go, I'm going to be deprived. If I let this go, I'm going to miss out. If I let this go, you know, we can develop all these things. But actually, what the Lord has planned is if you let this go, he's got something else even more exciting for you. And by holding on to it, by failing to surrender it, you're depriving yourself of entering into that greater blessing and, and experience that God has. You see, when we refuse to respond in faith, we, in the end, are just hurting ourselves. We are putting ourselves in a place to miss God's blessing. And man, I don't want to do that. I want to experience God's blessing. So if there's something, as we think back over that uh, list that we mentioned earlier. If there's something, if it's a family thing, and God's saying, put it on the altar. If it's a ministry thing, God's saying, put it on the altar. If it's your career, the very thing that you work so hard for, but God's saying, put it on the altar. If it's your possessions, if it's your dreams, whatever it is, God is saying, put it on the altar because ultimately he wants to bring a greater blessing to you. But you can't get the blessing till you let go of the present thing and surrender it to him. There's nothing wiser that we could do than just to surrender everything to the Lord. You know, the most foolish thing a human being, and especially a human being who has uh, received Christ... The most foolish thing we could ever do is hold on to parts of our life thinking that we've got a better plan than God does. That is an utterly foolish thing to do. You cannot possibly improve on God's plan. You can't even remotely improve on it. But as long as you hold on and refuse to let go, you you can't enter into it. But you see, we have to remember that... God's plan for our lives is based upon his love for us and and him knowing better than we what he intended for us when he created us. So don't hold back. I, I think back in my life, you know, my greatest regret is that I did not surrender to Christ sooner. I have absolutely no regrets becoming a Christian. That was the greatest thing I ever did. But my one regret is that I didn't do it sooner. I had a couple of years of sort of, you know, bouncing in and out and, you know, kind of, you know, sort of playing games with the Lord, so to speak. And I did that simply because I thought that I, might have a better plan for myself than God did. And I can stand here and testify to you today that was an utterly stupid idea. (laughs) And now I look back, and even though, you know, it's just a couple of years, I look back and think, oh, I I wish I could have had those years back. What was I thinking? Why was I holding on? How was it that I was ever so, so foolish as to think that I should hold on to some part of my life. Let it go. Put it on the altar. And again as Paul said it in Romans 12 I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable to God which is your reasonable service. Paul says I beg you. I plead with you. I plead with you by the mercies of God. Think of all that God has done for you. That's what he's saying. And of course, all that God has done for us, Paul had just been expounding that in those first 11 chapters of Romans. So he's saying essentially based upon all that I've already said to you about all that God has done for you, in light of that, now this is what you do, and this is your reasonable service so i plead with you tonight don't hold back don't hang on if god's speaking to you if you've got an isaac something that god's given but you're you've sort of lost sight that it's really god's you've got a grip on it yourself god's saying put it on the altar and you will find when you do, that's when the release will come. That's when the blessing will be restored. That's when you'll launch into a whole, new, a whole new experience of faith. And the life of faith is the most adventurous life anybody could live. I think we should be, man, you know, if we really believe it's the last days, we should be getting so radical for the Lord. We shouldn't be so conservative. We should be radical. We should be saying, you know, I'm getting out of here, man. There's people all over the world that have never heard of Jesus. I got to go tell them. You now, we we should be doing that today. I pray that we will.
0: For the month of November, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled A Non-Anxious Presence, How a Changing and Complex World Will Create a Remnant of Renewed Christian Leaders by Mark Sayers. According to Sayers, we're living in between two eras, an era that is passing away and an era that is not fully formed. This has created a context of confusion, stemming from the influences of both the passing and forming eras. He calls this time the gray zone. It is a time in which we are living that has caused a cultural mood of anxiety, which has the ability to paralyze rather than prosper. We not only live in an anxiety-infected culture, but many have become anxious presents themselves. So in his book, A Non-Anxious Presence, Mark Sayers explains how to identify, navigate, and adapt to this gray zone phase of global culture. He argues that the only solution for an anxious presence is the presence of God himself. This book will give you a personal awareness of the times in which we live and help you develop a non-anxious presence. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order A Non-Anxious Presence, How a Changing and Complex World Will Create a Remnant of Renewed Christian Leaders by Mark Sayers. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you,